Welcome to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast, a multimedia project intended to highlight the careers of leaders of color across the healthcare industry. Students, early professionals, and the community at large can expect to gain valuable, unapologetic insight on the career journeys of individuals whose lived experience and personal mission has been centered in advancing health equity. Thanks for listening. everyone welcome to the healthcare hustle podcast today we are joined by al campbell vice president and chief operating officer at christian hospital in northwest healthcare in st louis missouri al welcome to the show thank you thank you very much uh really glad to join you all here and thank you for the invitation winston brandon and nigel so a blessing to to be with you on tonight so look forward to this conversation with you man Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Hal, for joining us. Uh, one thing we like to do is just kind of kick it off. If, if you could just talk a little bit about your journey and, and, and how you got to where you are now um, and, and just kind of share your inspiring journey a little bit. Yeah, yeah. so, um, you know, for me, <clears throat> growing up, uh, I grew up in New Jersey. And um, from a young age, I volunteered in a local hospital. And, um, you know, my mom was always a mentor to me. Uh, I grew up in a, a single parent household and I was the oldest of um, four boys. And, and she always had a structured path and plan set for me. And so volunteering at our local community hospital, Muhlenberg Regional Medical Center in Plainfield, New Jersey, really helped to set the tone there for me um, and, and the roadmap for me going into healthcare. And I can remember volunteering on the floor where she was a nurse on the oncology unit and I uh, would even spend some time volunteering on the uh, um, intensive medical care unit as well. And at that point in time, fellas, I said, man, I want to be a cardiologist. When I, when I grow up, I want to be a cardiologist. And um, I am a proud product of public schools in New Jersey, inner city. Um, but it was a little challenging, too, you know. It was, it was hard growing up. We had to fight our way home some days in the afternoon after school and um, didn't let that deter me. But I didn't feel um, that I had the best grades uh, coming out of high school, that I would be able to successfully make it to medical school. And I remember one day my mom said to me, you're going to college and you're gonna get out of here and you're, you know, you're gonna go make something of yourself. And I had this whole little plan in my head. I was just gonna do something local in, in the community. And she said, over my dead body. And, um, she says, you're going to college. So start looking at some places. So I remember going to school and going to the guidance counselor and um, saying, my mama said, I got to go to college. So I need some recommendations. And um, I was able to, to get into my now alma mater, Norfolk State University, behold the green and gold in Norfolk, Virginia. And um, a successful four years there at Norfolk State University. Um, and I still had that passion that I wanted to go to medical school. In fact, when I was growing up, I even remember me and my aunts, because my mom's baby sisters, um, they were closer in age to me and my cousin. We would play doctors in the house growing up. And so all of us knew we wanted to go into medicine. And by the time I was getting ready to graduate from college, I got this fear that had kicked in. And it said to me, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get a high enough MCAT score. So don't even bother doing it because you're just going to fail and embarrass yourself. And so I says, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to take the MCATs because I'm just not going to make it. And I remember graduating and my mom saying to me, you need to go to nursing school. 
You need to go to nursing school. You need to go to nursing school. I'm like, well, men don't go into nursing. And um, I grew up in a Caribbean household. And I remember the stigma that was way back then uh, where they would see a man that was a nurse. Like, He's a male nurse. And I was like, how? Why does it always have to be a male nurse? And I was like, so I'm not going to become a nurse. And lo and behold, I listened to my mom like a good son. And I went into nursing. And I love the journey ever since then. I haven't regretted it. Um, I've had the chance to work on the floor. I've had the chance to work in management. Um, I've worked uh, long-term care, acute rehab, med surge, cardiac, and, and I've absolutely loved the ride. Uh, one of my earlier introductions I didn't tell you though, was becoming an emergency medical technician in New Jersey. And I worked city 911. And, and saw some of the most severe cases and, and worked with some of the best of the best in the EMS field. And so all of those uh, various experiences really helped to shape uh, my continued yearning and curiosity about wanting to climb up in healthcare. Um, and so from there, I, I, I turned around and I said, I'm coming off the floor, I'm gonna do something different. And I um, went into quality. And I became a quality nurse in a rehab center. And I really enjoyed just looking at things from a holistic lens. And so that was what really took the journey for me and, and set the stage for me saying, I wanna go into operations because I really love looking at things from a global perspective. And from there, I had a number of different opportunities. Uh, but if it wasn't for the early experiences that I had um, growing up in the inner city, um, having a structured household. We didn't grow up uh, with a lot of things, but we didn't know we were poor. You know, my mama worked seven days a week, 16 hours a day to make sure that we had a home to live in. We were in a, a stable neighborhood and we were living just as well as the other families that had a two-parent household. Uh, so I credit all of that from my humble beginnings growing up in the inner city um, with my mom. And being the oldest, I had to shape the path for my other siblings that were right behind me too. Uh, and, and so those are some of the things that really helped me to get to where I am now. And then I remember one of my first director type jobs, like coming off the floor um, from, from quality, was a di senior director of operations for behavioral health um, at a 900 bed hospital in DC. And man, fellas, when I tell you that was the roughest two years of my life, it was rough. It was, it was so rough. Uh, behavioral health psychiatry. Uh, but I enjoyed the experience because it taught me so much and gave me great exposure. Um, and, and then after that, I had the opportunity to um, meet a really, really cool leader um, who became a mentor. And she took me in under her wings. Um, she's still a mentor to this day. Her name is Susan Bailey. And Susan uh, asked me one day, I was sitting in her office, um, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a CEO. And she says, okay, well, we're going to try to help you get there. And she made me uh, vice president. And I was only 32 years old, y'all. I was green, green. But it was that mentorship that, that really went a long way um, from her that helped to set the tone for me. Uh, becoming a vice president, leading LTAX at 32 years old. And then the rest was history from there, fellas. Wow. Uh, that is um, fascinating. Um, 
by 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 chance, are you first generation uh, in terms of Caribbean heritage? Uh, yes, yes, sir. Wow. Okay, yes, sir. This is fascinating. A lot, of, you know, a lot of things are just kind of you know um, spinning in my mind. I think from just the inner city background obviously, you know, the Caribbean background um, and uh, just your experience overall and uh, your mom just being a force and kind of a, a pivotal, you know, a figure in your life definitely resonates with me. Um, the EMT experience really stands yep. out. That really yep. stands out. Can you speak to some of the key distinctions and, and learnings that you kind of took away in all of these various healthcare settings? Because it's like, a lot of different experience at a relatively young age as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it made me curious to like want to do more. And and I, what I said was to myself, I'm just not going to stop right here. I'm going to keep on climbing. I'm going to keep on going. And um, I always found myself surrounded by um, people that were relatively older and smarter and had really had exposure and experience. And so they said, this is what you should do, or maybe you should do this. Um, but I always go back to, to being my mom saying, okay, what's next? I was like, Ma, guess what I did? And I'm successful at it. She's like, okay, proud of you. But what's next? What you gonna do now? And I'm like, well, man, shucks. This is big news right here. And, 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 and I didn't realize she just wanted to continue to push me to, to, to a higher level. Um, and then, you know, growing up, um, we grew up in the church as well. So you were grounded by your faith. And, and from a young age, my mama didn't play with church. You could stay up all night long, but you going to church in the morning. And she was serious about that thing. Um, and there wasn't no going outside and playing on Sunday afternoons. It was come home and stay in the house on Sunday afternoons, but you're going to church on Sunday. And we used to try to like uh, fake it. You ain't got no socks today. You're going to church with no socks, you know? And, and, and there was no way out of it. And we would sit in church all day long is what it would feel like. We grew up in a holiness Pentecostal church. But those beginnings really helped to take that along with me when I went into college and then even coming out of college um, into my adulthood, the importance of having a uh, higher faith and belief that you too can continue to um, reach your goals if you believe and if you're prayerful about it too at the same time. And so I hold on to that from my humble earlier years of life as well. You made me, uh, thank you for that. You also made me not want to ask a question earlier. Um, it's something that you said, because it was kind of centered around your experience as a, as a male, quote unquote, nurse, or even more specifically, a black, you know, male nurse. Um, and I know for, you know, each person is different, but was that something where you, that you kind of experienced, was your identity kind of on display oftentimes in your interactions as a nurse and nurse leader? Uh, it worked uh, to my benefit, uh, I have to say. Being the male nurse, a lot of times you were the only male nurse hmm. that, that was on the floor. So it worked uh, really well in some advantages. Uh, you'd be able to schmooze your way through things. You didn't get as many of the hard patients because you have friends, some of the females as, as friends. And then you always had it where you would take care of a patient. And then uh, the family members are like, oh, I have a daughter. Are you single? You know, you always had that that piece there, the, the, somebody trying to hook you up. Um, but but all in all, I think it was it was always a blessing because you were able to lend a hand to the teams. Um, so I've always found it to be a blessing to be a part of the team. Um, nursing has significantly changed. There's a, a, um, a, a vast look of nursing now from where it was years ago. 
it's extremely acceptable to have multiculturals of, of, of races that are men in nursing. Uh, we even have our own professional associations for men in nursing now. And, and, and so that has evolved and helped the professions who really, really have evolved. Uh, that you see people are wanting to go straight in from high school to college to nursing. Uh, and it's not as, as just a second career decision that you're making anymore. It's, it's a passion and desire straight out of high school that you want to go into the profession. So um, it has been, it had a lot of benefits to it, I'll say. Wow. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think starting off, you know, in, in regards to just being a black nurse and, and, and kind of going against that stigma, uh, I do want to kind of give you your roses because I think a lot of times uh, us as black men, we kind of limit and, you know, kind of uh, pigeonhole ourselves in, into thinking that we have to conform to a certain, um, um, uh, I guess you could say, uh, identity or characteristics. So um, so hats off to you for, for kind of pioneering that path and, 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 and kind of uh, making the most of that opportunity. Um, with that in mind, you also talked about a mentor who, who kind of opened the doors for you. And, 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 and I think that was a perfect example mm -hmm. of intentional mentorship. Um, and I would love if, if you had some time just to kind of touch on what you feel is um, what, what intentional mentorship looks like for Black employees or employees of colors or those of marginalized communities. Yeah. You know, it's, it's multifactorial and it's bi-directional at the same time, right? So it's important for us as um, senior executives to be intentional um, about supporting, mentoring, and reaching back to bring specifically black and brown um, young persons that are aspiring to, to reach their goals along on this journey. Um, a, a leader once said, Charles Williams, um, who is from Texas, uh, that once you make it through that swing door and there's a hinge on the door, don't take the hinge off the door so no one else can come through keep it open so that others too can follow you into the room. And, and I never forgot that. And it's so very valuable and important um, that once we find ourselves having a seat at the table to continue to create the opportunity for others to have a chance to have a seat at the table as well. And then being able to have a, a, a space in the room where the decisions are happening. So I think we have to be very cognizant and aware of that. Um, and it's really important that we're cognizant and aware of it when we're specifically looking and identifying young black and brown talent uh, to help to reach their goals as well. And I think bi-directionally for young aspiring healthcare leaders uh, that are looking to aspire to come into the C-suite or come into healthcare and, and to, to reach their goals is seeking out mentors and just not seeking out mentors that look like us it's okay to have decision makers and leaders that don't look like us, but have a vested interest in us wanting to be successful, uh, that they can provide mentorship. And it's okay to tell your story of, of where you want to go and, and being vulnerable in that space. And in that transparent, vulnerable moment, you'll find someone that wants to help you to achieve your goals. So I think it is bi-directional. Um, we as the leaders have to be intentional about reaching back and not forgetting how we got here. And then two, young aspiring um, healthcare leaders that are up and coming, also wanting to, to identify leaders that look like us, uh, to be able to have that connection, but then some that don't look like us to help to support them as well. I love that. Um, 
a lot of uh, wisdom there, very salient. Um, I want to kind of expand on that as well. This is a little bit of a loaded question, but can you speak to, you know, just throughout your experience, both as a, a mentee and a mentor, what are some of the qualities um, that you think makes, you know, a good mentor and mentee? So, so in terms of, of, of good qualities of a mentor, um, I believe it's really important that you're honest uh, with your, your mentees and you don't sugarcoat it. You got to tell them like it is. You know, one time I, and I'll give you an example. Um, I had uh, just become uh, a chief operating officer in one of our LTACs in Washington, DC. And my, my boss, Susan Bailey, had put me through this whole orientation process to meet with all of the other leaders, the CEOs that are also were in the organization as well. And I remember one of them saying to me, he was very blunt. He says, there will come a day in which you are fired. And that's not a bad thing. It could be for something you may have done, or something that the organization just chose to go in a different direction but you have to be able to dust off your knees, strap your boots back up and keep on moving. And I walked away from that orientation session with him fellas. And I was like, man, that's one of the damnest coldest things somebody could ever say to somebody just getting their first COO job. And I was so like upset with him saying that to me, but I figured out, oh, later on in life, like, okay, you know, and seeing it happen around me, um, and hearing about it, it's not the worst thing that could ever happen to someone. Um, and it is going to happen. The higher you go in organizations that well, it could happen. Uh, but it's really, really important that, you know, it's not the end of the world. So, so I say that to say that as mentors, it's important that we are honest. Being able to hold that mirror up to our mentees and say, this is what you're looking like. This is what the road could look like ahead for you. But don't be, don't be dismayed because you can be successful still. And, and just being honest with our mentees. And I think it's also very important um, for mentees to choose mentors that are gonna be honest with them and challenge them. You just don't want somebody you can go and, and, and laugh and have a good time in their office and you agree about everything, but someone that's going to be able to, to give you a transparent, honest, um, communication and help you to really push yourself because it's easy to get stuck at times. And someone that has um, a vast array of knowledge and expertise in, in multiplicity of different areas, um, just don't get sucked in because it's someone nice that gave me an opportunity, right? It has to be someone that is going to be able to push you um, to really achieve your highest goals and, and strive for your, your, your um, achievements as well. This is, um, this is just a comment that's really profound. Uh, I think what the leader had told you in the first day on your job and thinking about failure in such an extreme way. I'm thinking, you know, kind of back on my journey as a college student, high school student, failure may have been failing a, a test or a class or something. You know, you get, you get, you know, you embrace that, okay, embracing failure. But as right. a young professional now, I'm like, whoa. What is the extreme side of failure that could be potentially losing my job? And how would I respond to that? How would I yeah. you know, react to that? And so just, 
yeah, I feel like that's kind of even given me more motivation to, you know, just think about things um, a little bit different because you're right. It does happen. And it's almost a skill that you have to have to know how to bounce back, you know, dust yourself off and do that. So I just appreciate that, uh, that story. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's really important. It's not the end of the world. And, and one of the things I've learned, and I'll share another story with you, um, you know, getting through nursing school was even challenging for me. And I didn't think I was going to make it. You know, them sciences would kick your tail. And I was like, what the heck is this? I ain't going to make it. And I had some, some friends that were from Africa. And they were really, really smart. And they were like, you can make it. You can too. I was like, well, how are y'all passing these tests? And I ain't passing them. You know, I just couldn't understood, understand it at that point in time. But, uh, but I linked up with them and stayed close and, and, and learned their study techniques and habits. And I hung in there. And it wasn't easy. And so I say to, to anyone, um, when you find that, that, you know, getting distracted or becoming dismayed and you just want to give up, just figure out other alternative strategies to really try and to hang in there and, and to, to reach those goals. So it's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Um, and I would say, you know, as far as me and the listeners, I, I think we all appreciate that word of encouragement. I think we can all kind of relate to that story a little bit. Um, well, I, well I, what I would really like to do is I, I'd hate to miss the opportunity to kind of pick your brain because you did make a good point of um, reaching out to your resources and kind of identifying people who might be smarter than you and identifying the, 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 the gap and saying, you know what, let me approach them and say, what is it that I'm doing wrong? What is it that I can do better? Um, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on, on operations because you've worn a lot of different hats in regards to operations. Yeah. Um, so it's somebody who's kind of worked with a lot of different health systems and for young professionals listening, what does, what is health operations and what skill sets do you really need to, to kind of get into that field? Yeah. You know, um, I, I talk to a lot of people and, um, people that are aspiring to, to, uh, move into the C-suite, aspiring to, uh, move into operational type leadership roles or at the vice president level. And then I'll say, so what do you want to do when you, you know, you grow up or what do you want to do when, when you, you get to this level? I want to be like you, but that's not it, right? You, you got to be your authentic self. You know what I'm saying? If you're trying to come into this, this, this work um, and it's not easy, it, it really and truly isn't easy. You may have heard of the saying that the air is, is, is thin at the top. You don't have a whole lot of friends up there either. And, and, and um, it's easy to be distracted. So I say to anyone that um, wants to uh, get into operations and in healthcare, the importance of really uh, diversifying your background. It is extremely key to learn different industries, different verticals, uh, because, you know, let's face it, guys, hospitals are not the end all be all to to healthcare. Um, there is an, a complete and entire ecosystem out there that um, we can tap into. And, and so I say to, to you and to our listeners, think about the inpatient verticals. Think about ambulatory and outpatient verticals. There's the, the, the capital venture uh, industry side of things, and which is really popping up left and right as well in healthcare, you know, to some of the other startups that we are actually seeing. Uh, telemedicine, the, the telemedicine side of, of our industry is really booming and exploding. And so as technology continues to advance, innovation continues to be at the forefront of organizations. 
it's really, really important for us to diversify our skill set. Um, you may not be a clinician, but it's okay to learn clinical platforms, right? If you got a brain, you can learn. And, and so it's really, really important to really try to diversify yourself and your skill set so that once you do get that seat at the table, you're prepared or you have um, some substance that you're able to weigh in on the decisions and conversations uh, that really help to shape, mold, uh, and continue to grow the organizations that we're responsible for. But one of the things I'll say that's even more important than, you know, the job description, right? Because the job description you'll see for an operator is to lead the daily operations and all the assigned areas in it. That's all the good stuff, right? Fluff, fluff, fluff on the job description. You got to have um, a heart for the people. That's first and foremost, uh, because people will come at you each and every day whether it's the patients, whether it's your customers, whether it's your colleagues, uh, employees, with um, different scenarios, different, different challenges. And you have to have a heart for people. And even more so, we have to have a heart for people in these times that we are living in today. Because the, the workforce, they have options. And so it's really, really important that we're able to connect with the work workforce so I believe it's really important for operators uh, to be versatile in how you interact uh, with the workforce. Uh, it's taking time to sit down and have lunch with them in the cafeteria, going to the cafeteria and just rounding on everybody, you know, going up onto the floors and seeing how they're doing, going to the community to see how they're doing in, in their various respective roles as well. Um, and then it's also really important to be an inspiring leader, you know, um, you got to inspire people to do more and tell them, man, you're going to make it. You're going to be all right today. They need to hear that. Somebody's coming to work hanging on by a, a thread. And, and so that word or that little um, opportunity in which you're able to encourage someone, even as an operator, goes such a long, long way. And so I found that uh, engaging with our people, inspiring our people, uh, is really, really one of the key attributes um, to being a successful operator. And then how do I motivate the entire workforce to like want to do better, right? So every day is an exciting day. I don't care if it's jacked up from the floor. It's an exciting day. We're going to do some big things, you know, today. And, and, and really helping people to believe that and, and then getting them pumped about it at the same time. So it's really, really important for us to be able to have those um, people characteristics or, or traits to be able to help lead an organization while at the same time having the sound operational and financial um, skill set as well. Wow. Uh, sound bite of the year <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> right there. Uh, really? Uh, you know, Brandon, I'm sitting here listening to Al like, man, if he was my preceptor during my fellowship, maybe I'd be in an operative role right now. Um, and it's funny, you know, you, the last part you said, while maintaining all of the business financial you know operative clinical acumen if you will that is where al for me personally i struggled to see how such a visionary leader like yourself managed that balancing act um because it just seemed like in different environments maybe it depends on the you know the hospital or the facility sometimes the operators are so focused on the spreadsheet they're so focused on the pnl they're so focused on you know the patient flow and throughput that really challenging them sometimes to be 
the the people leader is kind of why I feel like sometimes we have higher, you know, turnover than in right. other industries. Um, right. So can you kind of just break that down? I mean, what are some of your, you know, your tips, your tricks, you know, how can folks, you know, in your position that want that ability, want that a part of their skill set, how can they kind of get there? Yeah, man, it, it's, it's normalizing the role. We, we have to normalize it. You know, earlier on in my career, I remember, and, and I subscribe to this, this mantra that I had to walk in every single day with a blue suit, a white shirt, a red tie, a blue tie, an orange tie, every single day, five days a week, right? And, and, and then I remember someone saying, it's okay, lose a tie. That's come about more so recent in, in a number of years. But, you know, I, I was so conservative in my thought process that I'm a vice president and I have to wear this five days a week. And you know what? It's okay for me not to do that. I mean, you still have the title, but people want to talk to you and approach you when you're approachable, right? And, and how you carry yourself. And so now, man, there's days you'll see me in scrubs. And I'll walk up on folks, they'll be like, oh, shucks, it's Al. You know, they don't see you coming. And with the mask on and everything, they, they don't see it. But it, it really humanizes the role to remember that we're people just like them. Um, and then to get out and, and to walk and, and spend time with our teams, it's really, really important. Um, I have this thing, I like to just go in the cafeteria just to walk, see people. Because you learn a lot in the cafeteria. Uh, especially from our ancillary areas, man, they, they, they're, they're the joy of my day uh, and being able to get to talk to them and just be down, down, down home, real people with them too. Um, so I think it's important that we humanize the role. And I remember, you know, guys, um, from my earlier days when I was on the floor, um, you would see a suit coming and they're walking and they got a clipboard and a pen and two phones. And oh, hell, here they go. You know, I don't feel like dealing with that today. <laughs> Let me go in this patient room because I don't feel like hearing it. And I always said to myself, I never want to be that leader. I never want to be that kind of person that once people see you coming, they run the other way. Uh, so now when, when, when they see me, it's like, I know what you go through. I understand. Let's talk. What can we do to support you? And then I think the other component is to have an open door policy. Uh, but just not have an open door policy. Actually mean it, right? You know, that people can just, hey, I need to, I need to talk to Al. And that's cool. We, we can talk. Because uh, sometimes it's just people just want to come by to say hello. Because you've built relationships with them. So we can never take for granted uh, the importance of us building relationships, not just with our direct uh, management teams that report to us. But does, what does the relationship look like? with building those connections with the entire organization. And that's from the boiler room to the bedside to the boardroom. At every level in the organization, it's important for us to be able to do that. I, I really appreciate that, Cecilia, uh, because, you know, as somebody who's kind of just, you know, getting started on their career, it's good to see leaders who understand um, things at the, at the bottom level and understanding and having that perspective. Um, for, for, for me personally, anyways, and, and, and I will also say this, um, I think it's crucial um, just in regards to, to your leadership style, how infectious you are in regards to just being genuine, bringing that energy. Um, yep. 
I, I think it speaks volumes as far as somebody who I can look to and say, you know what, if this guy is waking up doing it, I can, I, I yeah. definitely do it. There's no reason I can't. So, um, absolutely. With with that being said, um, just in regards to you know how culture kind of eats strategy for breakfast, what are some things you try to focus on when you go to these different, right, as you go from different organization to different organization and kind of changing the leadership and, and the style a little bit. What are some things that you look to do to try to change the culture or try to change the the the, the day to day the, the the kind of old stigmas around different organizations? And I think Brandon, that that is a really really important question. Um, it's important that we 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 pace ourselves. Um, I've had to learn how to pace myself in the workplace. Um, because people want to come in and sometimes go, 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 drive, drive, drive. No, nah, man, you got to understand this place got culture. We're a family and, and you ain't going to come upset the apple cart just that quick. Uh, so it's really important to build relationships. Uh, it's important to listen, to understand the processes of why the way things are and why do we do things the way we do them. Um, and, and really uh, focusing on those relationships and understanding the people. Uh, because, you know, a lot of times what I found, fellas, people are proudful. Their pride, their, their pride is there in the work that they're doing. They're proud of the work that they've done. And so they don't want somebody to just come in and spread peanut butter all over everything that we've done all these years, right? Uh, so it's really, really important that as we as leaders assimilate into the organization, um, taking our time to pace ourselves. Um, it's okay to want to move things and, and really focus on the strategy and execution, but really understanding and learning the organization first and foremost um, and building those relationships. Because at the end of the day, you know, um, you'll get a whole lot with some honey if you treat people well and, and they feel that they can trust you, right? But if you come in and people don't know you and they, they haven't built that relationship with you in time, uh, it, it will lead into a, a negative path for you, potentially could. Um, so I think it's really important that while we're trying to focus on the strategy and growing our books of business, we're also really methodical of honoring and respecting the culture that has been in place in the organization and then really learning um, why the organization operates in the manner in which it operates so that we can be successful in helping to move the teams along. Because once they feel like, man, you're a good guy, I could trust you, I could work with you, they'll go all the way to, to, to the end for you with it. So that's what I've learned. Yeah, I love that. I think that it, for me, as you know, in my position where I'm at in my career, it's a lesson that I'm learning as well. Number one, that it's a slow process, um, but you know, with for good reasons for a lot of good reasons though right. um and you know also yeah it's all about you know building the relation um relationship um because that validates pretty much everything that you know you're trying to do and accomplish um within the organization one thing that i thought about though um and i'd still get chills thinking about this is the onset of, of covid and the first wave and how that really forced i was a i was a fellow at the time so i was able to see you know right there with the executives, just how it forced them to really adapt um, in, in a totally different way. So can you speak to just how that, you know, process was for you? What are some of the major learnings? Um, and then how do you feel like we've kind of permanently changed, you know, because of the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I go back to um, 
when we first heard about COVID uh, and we saw it like in Asia, right? And, and there was something that was happening in Asia and like, okay, it's over there, it ain't over here. And um, I remember um, hearing about one of the first cases here in the United States. Um, and I had um, just went to Trinidad and Tobago, um, coming back um, from Carnival. And I came back myself and I didn't feel well. And I'm like, what's going on with me here? Shucks, it's February though. So I'm just coming back and it's cold. So maybe that's what it is. But unbeknownst to me, it was COVID too. Um, and, and I just remember um, in those earlier days, some of the things that we learned, we didn't have a playbook for how we manage patients coming into the hospital with COVID. Uh, do staff wear masks? Do staff not wear masks? You know, um, to, okay, do we provide um, breathing treatments for patients, you know, when they're coming in or do we not? Um, and there was a lot that, that was going through and the playbook would change from day to day uh, as to, to what we were doing in our hospitals. Um, and, and what we found was, you know, we do a lot of planning for disasters and drills, but there was no plan for no COVID, right? And, and, and so we were trying to make it up as we, we went along. Uh, so in that, um, we found that a lot of our systems had to be fast forwarded, um, really with the implementation of more telemedicine, uh, which has really um, uh, taken off and, and really has made us thought a lot differently um, as to how we approach particularly outpatient healthcare and services. Um, and it's working, it really is working uh, because we thought, well, we're not gonna have patients. This is not gonna work for certain patient populations with uh, televisits, but guess what? Now it's working. Right, so we learned a whole lot in the, in in the pandemic um, to you know how we were. I'll be honest with you, the storage of bodies of the deceased, and and what that would look like, and when morgues started to get to capacity, and then having to find other alternatives for where we were were storing uh, deceased loved ones. But our organizations were not prepared uh, for that that pandemic uh, and the way it, it, it hit us. Um, but coming out of that and as we emerge from it now, um, and as more people are now vaccinated and we've seen that the, the vaccines have worked, um, I think that we have a better handle on um, how we are prepared uh, for another pandemic. Um, one of the things that it's also shown us is uh, it's turned us upside down um, and, and we've really had to look at our staffing models uh, in organizations and how do we really uh, be innovative with our staffing models because we did have very structured staffing models on a number of different um, um, platforms of services in hospitals but really it, the importance of us being um, more versatile in the recruitment uh, of staff and then really ensuring that we've got the right clinicians uh, providing care services and treatments to our patients as well. Uh, so we've learned a lot of things coming out of it, but in the heat of it, there was certainly no playbook. Uh, and and it, the playbook that we did create day to day changed even day to day. Um, and now, so as we emerge from it, I think we're in a better position. Um, we still are in a, a, a period of um, 
not knowing what certain staffing levels are going to look like, um, or the recruitment of staff is still a challenge uh, with there being so many agency uh, roles that are out there in which uh, staff and clinicians can, can make uh, more money as well. So it's, it's something that's going to be ongoing for some time, the effects of the pandemic in our organizations. We're still going to feel it. That was going to be my brief follow-up question. What is the main challenge to a COO um, in, in the United States at a hospital now uh, in this current time? So I think that um, a, a challenge and an opportunity is uh, for us to be able to focus on the business at hand. Uh, we got to stay very focused on the business at hand. How do we continue to grow programs uh, within our organizations uh, to continue to meet the needs of our patients. Remember, it's a whole ecosystem. So we want to be able to meet the patient's needs on the inpatient side, as well as the outpatient side of, of our books of business. Um, we got to remain nimble. Um, we have to really ensure that we're focused on um, growing revenue, uh, but then at the same time, uh, really also looking to see where the other great opportunities that we have in the organization. And again, I go back to really one of the, the main uh, responsibilities is not forgetting our people. Uh, because without the people, we're gonna be dead in the water. And so we've gotta make sure we're taking care of the people. Um, and my CEO, Rick Stevens says it best, we're people taking care of people. And, and it's really important to remember that um, and, and that resonates with me that we're all, we are people taking care of people and the importance of how we take care of others. They're going to take care of others too, because if we treat them well, we're going to see it reflected in how they treat our patients. And if we don't, we're going to hear it from them telling the patients too, and it's going to refer in a community, an example, nurses, oh, or staff, any staff. Well, we don't have enough staff. We short, everybody's short, you know, and then you hear that down in the road and it comes back up. I went to the hospital, they were all short staff. Everybody said it. Uh, so it's really, really Im Im impressed upon us to, to make sure that we're taking care of our people so that they can do the good work of taking care of the people that are entrusting themselves to us for care. Well, I appreciate that sincerely. I mean, I know me personally, I, I, coming into my fellowship, the pandemic kind of rocked everybody's world and you just kind of had to adjust to what was called the new norm. And yeah. we're on the other side of things. You're seeing what stayed around and what what maybe kind of will not change. Um, and then you're also curious as to what new trends are, are going are gonna to on the horizon. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the one of the things that I always try to do is be an avid learner and always try to look for for, for sources of knowledge. For our listeners, do you have places that you go or do you see anything on the horizon as far as just to get your healthcare information or things that you might be uh, kind of, uh, you know, maybe people want to put on their radar? You know, I, I would say it's a couple of things, uh, Brandon, that, that are really, really important for us uh, to stay abreast. Uh, um, a special shout out to Becker's Health. I think they do a really, really good job of being a source of information and they, they, they find the information and give it to you. They do a good job. Uh, so, so definitely um, um, glad for that resource that we actually have. Uh, modern healthcare uh, really also helps to give us a good perspective and snapshot of what's happening um, within the healthcare industry itself. I, I think that um, it's really, really important to have our professional affiliations 
for our respective industries and staying very closely connected to those as well, right? Uh, very important. Uh, ACHE, extremely valuable. NASI, extremely valuable. Um, any other um, industry-specific sources uh, that we can tap into related to, to our areas of practice um, are very, very valuable. Um, and I think it's also really, really important to, to have those connections at the local levels within our organizations as well. Um, the, the young executives, healthcare executives, work groups uh, that are there within our organizations and collaborative work groups within the organization so that we can tap into those also. Um, those cannot be underestimated. Um, but there's a plethora of them that are out there. So it's more so industry specific that we need to tap into them. And then, you know, the education and, and continuous learning, even with certifications. And then really um, a lot of organizations now provide that tuition reimbursement. So it's, it's, it's up to us to want to benefit from that to get additional certifications, whether that's in Lean, Six Sigma, you know, or any of those to help to diversify our background and skill set as well. Um, so there are a number of sources. Wow, very, very informative. Well, we are coming up, um, you know, around our time. So Al, we definitely appreciate all of the gems and uh, wisdom that you shared with us as well as the personal stories today. Uh, our co-host, Nigel, usually has a really fun, interactive uh, session. At the end of each episode, it's kind of a rapid fire uh, okay. question round. I am not as creative as he is, though. Okay. So I, I have some rapid fire questions. Uh, you wow. Are a Jersey East Coast kid. Uh, All right. I'm a Philly kid, so I'm just interested, yeah. you know, and thinking, you know, how about how you grew up? Uh, so three questions real quick. Um, what was your favorite album growing up? Man, oh man, my favorite album, Bob Marley. Mm, Bob Marley. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Bob Marley guy all day, all night. I can play it over and over and yeah. over every single song. Oh, I yep. love, it. love the radio. Yep. Okay. Favorite sports team? Dallas Cowboys. Ah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, let's just well, let's get yep. past that. And then favorite TV show? Favorite TV show. Um, Fat Albert. Oh, back in the day, love, 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 Fat Albert. Yes, sir. Love yes, it, sir. Love it. Love it. Well, yep. Al, thank you so much for entertaining us uh, in our in our quick thank fire you. round. Is there anything before we hop off? Any way that our listeners can follow you? You know, connect any you know social media platforms at all, uh, just for them to have. Yeah, um, I can be reached on LinkedIn at Al Campbell. Um, uh, so, so definitely an, an opportunity for us to, to connect that way. Um, or I can be reached at al.campbell at bjc.org. Again, that's al.campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L at bjc.org. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't take an opportunity to give a special shout out to the mentors that really helped to shape uh, my life. Uh, getting me to to this um, stage of my career. Um, one of the first leaders that first gave me an opportunity uh, to have a job, one of my first jobs out of college was a man by the name of Reginald Morton. Uh, he gave me an opportunity um, to work at a local community college. Uh, and then um, Susan Bailey, who was one of the first leaders that really believed in me and gave me an opportunity at 32 years old to become a vice president and, and just kept pouring into me and pouring into me and pouring into me. Major, major props 
to this lady who really invested in a young black man. Uh, to uh, one of my former uh, president and CEOs, Mr. Neil Moore, um, from the University of Maryland Capital Region and Dimensions Healthcare System, uh, who afforded me a number of opportunities and continues to pour into me as well. Uh, my, my executive coach, Neil Hines, Charles Williams, Rick Stevens, without those great pillars, um, I would not be where I am today. And Mr. Michael Wright, uh, who's always there to listen and lend an ear uh, for guidance. So thank you, thank you, and thank you so much. And to my moms, <laughs> who always had the roadmap and plan, and for her prayers that have led me and continue to lead me, and to the Most High. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for the episode, and we want to thank you for listening to the Healthcare Hustle Podcast. Make sure to check us out each month on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stay up to date with the Healthcare Hustle fam by following our page on LinkedIn. The marathon continues, so keep on hustling.